Thank you for listening to The Hive Podcast. My name is Natalie Nahai, and in this second series, I'll be exploring our relationship with the living environment. These 10 intimate conversations will touch upon everything from psychology, sustainability, and human behavior, to political and economic systems, and the narratives we inhabit to make meaning of our place in this world. Join me each week as we explore these topics and more. And if you like the show, please do rate or review it as it helps to reach new ears. For additional resources and to find out more, visit natalinahai.com forward slash The Hive Podcast or tweet to me at natalinahai. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to The Hive Podcast. For our final episode in this season, I'm really delighted to be talking with Dan Hillier, one of my favourite artists, whose work with composite images and 19th century engravings has resulted in a really unusual panoply of captivating, mystical, hybrid beings that to me recall these kind of archetypal folkloric images and figures of stories past. His art draws upon the rich natural world that we inhabit and the surreal, sometimes psychedelic aspects of the lived experience. This results in a pretty complex, mesmerising and sometimes quite unsettling images that I personally can't help but be intrigued by. Dan most recently had a solo exhibition called Ceremony at Saatchi Gallery in London, and he's also exhibited at Le Musée des Arts Décoratifs at the Louvre in collaboration with Marc Jacobs for Louis Vuitton, and with Mutate Britain in London and Glastonbury Festival, among many, many others. He's worked with authors and musicians, and also collaborated with Shakespeare's Globe Theatre in London, where his artwork was used for the summer and winter sessions in 2016 and 2017. Dan, thank you so much for joining me for this very special final episode. Yeah, thank you. I'm the last one in, am I? <laughs> you are indeed. Saving the best for last. I shouldn't say that, should I really? Because everyone's No, not at all. <laughs> saving the <laughs> art for last. <laughs> saving the art for last, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yes, I wanted to end this series with this conversation. Um, not only because I thought it would be a very rich and fascinating note to close on, but also because the arts, and in particular, I think, the visual arts can play quite a powerful role in awakening sensibilities within us and offering visions of other worlds that might be possible, especially at a time like this. So for me, your art in particular seems to resonate with a quality of the mystical. And so I'd like to start with a question. What moved you to create art in the first place? <sighs> well, uh, I suppose, I mean, I've, I've, always, I've always made art since I was a kid. I think most kids do. And I think there seems like in the conversations that I've had with people about being an artist or not being an artist, there does seem to be like an ongoing sort of wondering about whether people are born with artistic talent or whether it comes through practice and all that sort of stuff. And I think it's probably more the latter, but that um, it requires um, a, a sort of a, an inclination to really make pictures and to follow that by putting the time in you know where the, where, the, where the talent if there is any talent there is allowed to mature and bloom and, and for me art was always a thing that I was most captivated by as a kid you know like sort of um, imaginatively and so on so in terms of like making art in the first place back in the day it was just the love of doing that which I think really sort of that still stands really uh, it's just for the play of it and for the enjoyment of just like yeah, toying around with imagery and exploring it and using it as something to a do something with myself, um, but b also sort of more more increasingly more so these days uh, to explore the world with you know to explore my interpretation of the world with um, as a means to uh, sort of express the my sort of reaction to the things that I'm interested in. Um, and like, you know, I, I mean, I, I was making art through, all through primary and secondary school and all that. And it's one of those things, I, you know, where does it begin? I don't know. Cause I was encouraged by my parents to make art. And then at school I was kind of the art kid and that carried on. And I found myself going to art A levels and foundation course and, and all that sort of stuff. And I ended up doing a, um, a degree in illustration and graphic arts at first. So I was sort of directed there by a tutor who thought I wasn't ready for fine art. Which I think he was quite right about, you know, because I think my work was quite illustrative uh, back then, which, you know, a lot of people do think I'm an illustrator, I think, because I've done some books 
uh, book covers and album covers and stuff. But really, I mean, my my take on it now really is that I, I make art for the love of it and um, to 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 communicate the stuff that I find in this life that I love and um, as as a means to sort of delve into the mystical stuff that I'm I'm interested in. Mm. You know, so like, in terms of sort of what moved me to make it in the first place, I think I, I kind of where I'm at at the moment is that it just seems that things just appear to happen on their on their own, really. <laughs> and uh, there doesn't, I, I'm not so sure if I believe in like in in in, in free will and choice and all that stuff anymore. And it, this is just something that I followed uh, as it opened out. And uh, and and these days, you know, it's, it's become something which is like quite a central part of my life. Obviously, you know, I make art and I love looking at art and, and, and enjoying all the arts. And so I think the more that I get into making it and I uh, have the communication sort of back and forth with people as I make it, the people that like my work or sometimes don't like my work and people that buy my work and, you know, through social media and all that sort of stuff, it becomes very much like a conversation and... Um, I'd, I'd say that these days, really, the, the way that I'm making the work now, it's really uh, uh, a sort of deep delve into into the stuff that's always interested me, and that sort of seems to be opening up more and more. And as it does so, it makes makes me want to look into it more and more, and it makes me want to make work that reflects that more and more as well. So I'm curious with that in terms of the, the role that art plays in your life and also with the kind of work that you do... Um, I remember seeing your work in, it was in East London a while back, actually, and mm. then at various different art fairs, and there was just a clamouring for it. And I think there's something about this sensibility that we have to art when it speaks to us, or the same thing with music or dance or performance of any kind or literature or poetry, that it somehow can form um, kind of almost like it can, it can hand us a key to something within us that's been maybe locked or forgotten or hidden. And it feels to me like this is kind of happening with your art. And I wonder for you what role art plays in your life, maybe as you dive into the more mystical aspects more, um, mm. and how the more you dive into that, how that's generating a response in the people who seek out your art. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, for me, the, the, I mean, the art that I love is something that stops me in my tracks, uh, either immediately or over time, sort of like kind of keeps beckoning me back, you know, something that sort of snags my awareness. Um, there's, a, there's a great, I was just reading um, some Ken Wilber uh, the other day, and he talks beautifully about the, the role of art, where he talks about, you know, this is good art will stop you in your tracks and suspend time and suspend the self and... Uh, allow everything to sort of drop away and just allow for a connection with uh, the, the sort of un, the ineffable or the, the, the kind of incomprehensible sort of nature of being or something, somewhere along those lines. And for me, that's the sort of art that I love to look at. And it's probably pretty much what I'm seeking to put out there nowadays. I think when I, when I first started making the work, it was as much just for, as I said earlier, for the, just for the pleasure of making it and because I love Max Ernst, I was really inspired by his work and a lot of other surrealists and I was, um, I've always loved collaging, which is how I make my work. I, I, I make it through using bits of old Victorian prints, um, mm. prints wood, wood engravings and bits and bobs and then sort of manipulate it. Um, and so as the work's gone on, it's, it's, I've sort of become increasingly interested in art generally, all the arts, as I, I've always been into it, but it's just, I mean, now I'm, I'm like, I can't get enough of it, it's particularly the more classical stuff, it seems, you know, like recently I've definitely become a lot more interested in uh, going to the National Gallery and uh, listening to classical music and and um dance and whatever it is because there's something of that that when the when the timelessness comes through in those great works of art i i feel like i'm connecting to something way beyond the sort of everyday you know i i was really something that was i don't know if it what was was it clear to me something that happened to me when donald trump got elected and i thought oh fuck it's all going down the swanee like even more so than it already is i found myself for like three weeks just going into the national gallery and just wanting to be around ancient paintings and ancient art and going to the british museum and uh, listening to classical music and being in nature and i realized that like, this is a it's a sanctuary you know it's a a reminder that in the even all this of the potential and the actually sort of happening ugliness of the world there is um, in art. There's a reminder. Uh, obviously, not in all art, but like in the art I'm talking about now, which is, I guess, maybe the more kind of classical stuff or or, or modern work that speaks 
of the unspeakable, you know, or the unknowable, the mystery, um, which feeds me and uh, feeds those around me. And uh, I, I come away feeling inspired to make more. So there's a, a conversation going on constantly with artists, whether, and for me, whether it's, uh, you know, Titian or Francis Bacon or um, contemporary artists like uh, Willie Vergener, who's an amazing wood carver, um, like I, I, I look at their work and it inspires me. So it, uh, all art is conversation, it's communication. And, you know, if you go back to the ancient traditions of art making and uh, poetry and song and all that sort of stuff, you know, they, they talk of the the muse coming through, you know, it's, yeah. it, it's channeling and it's, uh, you know, which has got a lot of new age connotations around it these days. And, and maybe it's been a bit, you know, it's a bit, it's a funny word to use, but it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of seeking out what I seek out in nature through art, I think, which is uh, communication with the timeless or something like that. You know, I mean, you, you, I know you, I've seen your paintings. They're bloody good, aren't they? And, <laughs> and, and, and you're, you're right. Now what I see in your, I mean, your paintings of still life and of uh, nudes and such is the same thing happening there. It seems to me that you are really looking, right? You're looking and in that looking, there's... Uh, uh, there's, you're finding something in that, right? Even if it's a pair, yeah, on the table, it's a pair, you know. Oh God. Yeah, especially if it's a pair on the table. Of, <laughs> a week of training after all the cast. Yeah, but I'm very interested yeah. by this idea of um, what you mentioned about art as sanctuary, and that your that your response, your inclination with the apparent ugliness of the times, typified by the election of Trump and various other things that are facing humanity. Mm. Lots of things, eh? Mm. Um, that at times of crisis. And for many people, a sense of disconnection and hopelessness, actually, hopelessness. Um, there has to be something that we can find hope in and sanctuary in. Mm. And I think inspiration. And I wonder also, so I'm currently living in Barcelona. And um, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm painting here. I'm in my third year of painting. Mm. And, um, and one thing that I've noticed among friends is that there seems to be this extraordinary global revival. Maybe it's also just confirmation bias. I'm looking for it, so I'm seeing it. But there does seem to be a revival of interest in things like folk music, of people coming together mm, and, and mm, getting involved yeah. in crafts, of people finding a sense of renaissance and going back to ateliers, which have been flourishing for the last five, ten years, of these more traditional methods of creating art. What do you think it is about that? Is it, it, is it that there is a relationship in this kind of... Um, connection with, I don't know if we want to say ideas that want to be embodied through musical art. Is it a sense of sacredness that we've lost in the natural world? A sense of connection? Is that what we're, we're seeking out? Do you think? Yeah, in a word, yeah, <laughs> I think I think so. Like, I, as I, I mentioned earlier, like, uh, before we we started chatting, you know, I've been listening. I listened to your podcast with Sharon Blackie, which is wonderful, and mm. uh, what you know, I, I absolutely agree with everything she says. You know, we 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 we've lost touch. Not everybody, obviously, but I think generally we've lost touch with the sacred and we've lost touch with our own sort of roots and our own belonging. And um, and there's if we lose touch with those roots and we've, we lose touch with our, 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 our connection and our part of being part of the natural world, or actually sort of being part of this miracle that is the, that is the world, the miracle of, of life, you know, which is a, is a miraculous happening, what's going on. It's ridiculous. It's preposterous, and we get caught up in these little, you know, well, comparatively little kind of mindsets about with, with with politics, which is important to pay attention to this stuff. But with politics, or with with all the distractions of life, mm. and we're getting sort of further and further sort of cut away from um, connection with with the all, you know, which is mm. with with awe actually, in its original sort of. Um, form of that word yeah yeah original original sense of that word with amazement and wonder at the world which actually if you most people if they spend time in nature people i know they aren't even that into nature so to speak or so they say will go out and go on holiday or go to a beach or go to a forest and come back replenished because they've connected with something which has been happening for billions of years and which is 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 uh, an emanation of of this incredible life force that we're all part of and i think you know we get bogged down in uh, city life or we get bogged down in watching tv or being on the internet or looking at our phones all the time which is probably one of the biggest problems in the world actually really isn't it like the phone gazing and being kind of trapped into this little cell of electronic phosphorus or whatever it is <laughs> um but it's this kind of turning inward isn't it it's kind of either turning inward 
on ourselves or distracting ourselves from turning inward more deeply. And then just we forget that we're part of something so much more complex and, and so much bigger. Yeah, we've become, I mean, it's like it's no pun intended, but we've become cellular, haven't we? Like, you know, we've become, and we are cells of a greater body, but we've become, like, literally, we've become sort of cellular, we've become transfixed by um, the, by the, by yeah, what, what gets channeled through very thin channels, through very thin media, you know, and um, I know, well, I, I speak for myself that, like, my, I mean, at the moment, my motivation is um, to, to, to get out into nature as much as possible and if I'm not out in nature it's to be listening to soulful music or it's to be connecting with the arts in some way or with or you know above and beyond and within all that with people face to face you know uh, with, with with people with conversation uh, away from away from technology and so you know I think art has that capacity to to transcend all of this sort of gubbins that we get caught up in you know and it's why people go crazy at music events, why people go, yeah. go, people love going to raves and just kind of getting stuck in together. And it's why people, um, uh, uh, people, it's why the arts, I mean, the arts are so, so, so important. It's in, and I've gone into schools and done some work with, the, uh, with, with schools, some of which are struggling on the Ofsted sort of scene and, and, and all that. And, and art is like being continually sort of sidelined and sort of reduced and reduced and reduced and seen as like some sort of luxury item or some sort of luxury hobby craft on the edge of serious business minded or uh, vocationally minded subjects. Whereas yeah. art is the, I mean, I would say this, I'm an artist, aren't I? But, you know, it's like, like the arts are what allow us to see the world and see ourselves and see ourselves reflected, you know, it's... As far as I'm concerned, it's it's it couldn't be more important. It's kind of the language um, of the soul, <laughs> if that's such a thing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is, and it, and it's endless. Like you know, the possibilities are endless. We've been, you know, making music and art for how God knows how many thousands or tens of thousands of years, and it's still coming through in unique forms. You know, because that's the nature of the world. It's uh, it's endless. You know, and and to be able to tap into that. Uh, by going to the gallery or to listen, listen to music is, is so important. And the fact that it's been sidelined and, and sort of seen as being, either been sidelined or commercialised to yeah. an extreme degree, you know, it's been co-opted by marketing forces and, and whatnot, and to, as it always has been. Mm. Um, it, it still can't take away from the fact that when you really connect with good art, when you find out and you stand in front of a painting or you listen to a piece of music, something's activated uh, yeah. sometimes you know and and you can like, you know, I, I know I can be sort of lifted out of the the sort of more small-minded um, habits I guess mm. that I might have one thing that I that I find interesting that I feel somehow ties into this and sort of to your point about the commercialization of the arts and music um, and it's going to weave into my next question mm. uh, you're recently you're recently involved in what I find to be an extraordinarily hopeful and practical um, movement, Extinction Rebellion, which is about civil disobedience. Mm. Earlier in the series, um, I interviewed Liam Gary Bolch about this. But one of the things that I found extremely moving about the, um, the happenings was that on the final, I think it was towards the end of the mm. protest session of the 10 days in London there were people who gathered to have a closing ritual and they sang mm. a nightingale sang in Berkeley Square and they were in Berkeley Square and it was just people coming together and performing and another element of the music which was from the people for the people was uh, mm. the example where they, they shut down um, the stage and so people couldn't listen to music so then they made their own music in the sense that we've lost of music being a generative force that we tell stories to each other that we share in these stories that it there isn't necessarily a separation between us and music it's something everyone can share in and yet somehow we've yeah. created this weird idea that only artists make art only musicians make music yes. it's bullshit it's it's such yep. and it's such a lie and i think it it feeds into this sense of disconnection which benefits you know the fact that we then go and fill that sense of emptiness with other things with distraction with food with consumerism and it's fine to be distracted and have food and consume but I think there's healthy limits and I think this this notion that we have of music and art being by musicians and arts which then everyone else passively consumes is just it's it's not helpful what was your experience as an artist being at Extinction Rebellion and actually because you also got arrested what was that like so many questions sorry (laughs) 
yeah. Uh, uh, it was it was uh, it was bonkers. The whole thing was completely amazing. It was completely amazing, and I loved how expression, art, poetry, music, togetherness um, was so central to all of it. Um, I, I spent most of my time on Waterloo Bridge because I've got uh, uh, some of my the, my Dharma teachers from Gaia House were uh, down there. Yanai uh, Postelnik, Catherine McGee, Kirsten Krantz, and Brad Ricochet. Uh, they they were sort of there at the centre, at the front, and in the back, and and all of the sort of people that I know from from the Sangha down there, from the from the community down in Devon were there, and mm. all my London folk up here as well. You know, there was a big group of going down there every day, um, and we were sort of drawn down there because it. it it's, all of the four sites there had sort of quite different energies. You know, there was like the Parliament Square, which had quite a sort of learning, uh, skill sharing kind of vibe going on. There was Oxford Circus with a big pink boat, which is kind of like big old party time. Um, Mar- Marble Arch, where there was all sorts going on. I felt like kind of that was a, a bit of a hub of sort of organisation and, and speeches. And then Waterloo Bridge felt to me. I mean, there was a lot of singing, a lot of poetry. It's very artistic oh. down there. You know. Um, uh, 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 there was uh, like all the trees were sort of put on the bridge. It became a sort of garden bridge. Mm. Um, but but the, the the fundamental thing, I mean, I could wax lyrical about it for <laughs> ages because it, pro- it was probably the most interesting and exciting uh, thing that I've ever been involved with in London. Just because a people came together and they uh, they came together uh, like through with re- such a variety of creativity and just simple togetherness. Um, and B, it really showed that the, all of this stuff, I mean, all of life, that we're, we're kind of playing roles mm. somehow. You know, the, all the arrests that are taking place, the police were playing their role as the police that are arresting people. We were playing our roles as the protesters protesting. But there was actually not that much difference in some ways because the police got why we were doing what we are doing and we got why the police had to do their job. And um, the, But above and beyond that, the most powerful thing for me was the sense of inclusivity and community and togetherness and sharing that happened I didn't I've said it a few times to friends that I suddenly realized at the end of it it's like I hardly saw anybody on their phone the whole time unless they're taking a picture here and there but we were sitting around talking and you just sit down next to somebody and start talking it wasn't all about the environment it was just like how you doing and what's going on and um <laughs> it sounds so special and especially for it London, really was people, yeah. it's very easy to feel lost in London and to feel I don't know separated from yeah, it's very yeah. easy. It's a very atomized place in some senses. And, and and to think that so like you know a few thousand people or a few hundred people, and sometimes it, as it's actually at night at four in the morning, there's a few dozen people had shut down four <laughs> key points in London. And even when you know they sent in a thousand police uh, to Parliament Square to flush that out, and we were on a critical mass bike ride at the time, so we all cycled down there. And there was this whole pantomime of like police arresting and arresting one person, another person lying down in their place, police arresting them, another person lying down in their place. And then the samba band turned up, you know, always the samba band. The samba band turned up, 100 people banging drums, people dancing behind them with cowbells, and they just retook the square with the samba band. Um, I love it. It, 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 was, it, was, it was bonkers. And actually, you know, and to, to, on the other side of it, the arrest, you know, when I got arrested, like the, 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 the experience, um, being fully aware, also, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a white middle well kind of middle I suppose I'm middle class now middle aged man you know um, <laughs> being arrested uh, the, all those mass arrests it was like it, it sort of almost seemed a bit like a like a ceremony you know like a ritual sort of thing and I got carried off the bridge and was having a chat with the police that were carrying me um, and they understood what we were doing they were they the police in the van understood what we were doing the police at the station understood what we were doing um, and sort of some of them tacitly basically said, we know, I've got children, I know why you're doing this. Wow. Um, and I mean, actually, just, just a, a little aside, because it's a funny story. I was at, at my gallery opening um, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, a, a big guy called Phil sort of was waiting to chat and came over and asked me about one of my pictures, Luna, and we chatted about that for a bit. And they said, I've got a message for you. I'm a, I'm a copper. I think maybe he's ex, ex-police. I've been in the police force for 30 years or something. And, I've got a message from one of the guys that took you off the bridge. He said, uh, it was a, one of the nicest arrests he's ever, he's ever made, thanks. Aww. And I just thought that was, that was really funny. And we had, a, we had a good old chat about it. And he said, oh, I've got a present for you, actually. And gave me this little gift wrap box. And it was um, a police whistle, like an old school Aww. police whistle. <laughs> and we, we were just talking. He, he said we didn't, he, you know, I, I don't know if it's him. And there's another policeman there as well, actually. It was one of them said, you know, we did, people didn't really quite know what to do with you lot because there was no fighting and there was no... Mm. Um, there was nothing to resist in a sense, like you know, and they kind of 
I'm not sure if this guy said this, but I have to talk to a couple of other police about it, and they kind of agree with what's going on, with what we're talking about, you know. But isn't it interesting that, and I, I, I can't help but um, think about this sort of Buddhist idea of pain and suffering, this idea that sometimes you have to take actions that are going to include pain, for the pain of being arrested, but the suffering is optional. And I think what you mentioned about mm. the roles, about the police playing their role, um, the protesters playing theirs, that there are ways of doing things that, that create a different meaning, um, that point to something else being possible. And I think, you know, they can't arrest everyone. Maybe they can, but I think the desire probably isn't there. They can't. Mm. No. And I think the, the fundamental ingredient in all of this, as hokey as it might sound to some people, is love. Mm. Everything, well, everything done on all of those sites, all of the, the sort of invitation to come down, the people who are organised, it's all done with love. Love is the guiding sort of principle on all of it. Love for the planet, love for people, love for the environment, uh, love for the police, love for, you know, the the, the politicians, like, as much as possible, you know, because obviously that's hard sometimes. But but I think it was carried out in a, in a, in a, in a spirit of, of love, of respecting and trying to comp- sort of make connection with the sacred. Um, and with looking at the bigger picture of what's really going on here, not pointing fingers, uh, all of us taking our own responsibility, all of us taking our own time to arrive at a place where we might want to get involved or not, and there being no pressure to do that. Um, but most importantly, non-violent, you know, um, non- non-violent, uh, love-based action, really. You know, this is, I mean, Gandhi, I mean, I'm not saying, obviously, that was a much sort of, uh, oh, I, I don't want to compare too much, but Gandhi managed to boot out the biggest empire the earth has ever seen mm-hmm. by, non-resist, by, by non-violent resistance. Mm-hmm. The suffragettes were probably the first, maybe, I don't my history isn't that great, but the suffragettes did it. Um, the, the Martin Luther King worked with Gandhi's principles. You know, that we, these have all been sort of like taken into account with with Extinction Rebellion, as far as I can tell, um, and have been put into place really well. I didn't see a single incidence of violence um, or really aggression actually throughout the whole thing. Even though it got a little bit argy bargy sometimes, but um, people are passionate, you know. But um, you know, uh, it, it was it was a very very creative very uh, all-encompassing sort of big picture event as far as I can see and I, I know a lot of people there, there are there's also of course the movement that are saying that the climate isn't changing it's all natural and all that sort of stuff I mean f- f- for me the big deal is loss of our biodiversity mm. and um, we can't deny that we're seeing it all over the world we see it we, I mean that's just happening and it's a disaster biodiversity and then also just the chopping down, it's just, I can't even think about it um, much before spiralling into a wave of despair, but the amount of Amazon that's being chopped down, it's like the lung, it's like taking oh. out pieces of one's own lung. It re- and it's just, which is... We, yeah. we are completely mental. As a species, we are so, I mean, yeah, uh, like, like, I can't remember the exact words. I, I posted something on my Instagram recently, which I love, which is a picture of the earth and somebody saying, if a species that can't manage a perfect four billion year old self-sustaining miracle that has its own uh its own self-generated force field how the hell are we going to go and uh, colonize mars no it's the height of hubris i mean it's just ridiculous yeah <laughs> like, like, like we're, we're living like this the world is a miracle it, it's and it's just infinitely beautiful and those, you know, having spent time in the Amazon as well, you know, a lot of focus is on the Amazon. We've got our own problems here with like the HS2 chopping. You know, so I think that might be being canned now, finally. But that was going to plough through twenty nine ancient woodlands or something like that. But like being in the Amazon and being in like right and deep in the Amazon in this pristine environment, which is just everything. You know, you just see it before your eyes. This perfect environment where the people who live there, the Shipibo and the Kashinawa that I've worked with there. Uh, in harmony with that you know they work with it they've, they've been working with it forever and and it's it's god you know it's or, or goddess you know wherever you want to put it um to be like chopping that down mostly for meat production actually mostly for crops for meat production which is its own source of extreme pain and and cruelty in itself um is absolutely ridiculous mm. to give it a tiny word you know it's preposterous it really is and we're, we're attacking our own life system. We're attacking our own support system. We all know this, but it's quite hard to... 
maintain that big picture because it's overwhelming I think and if we really look if I look at it the grief is immense you know and Mm -hmm. I think I I have a a bit of a crackpot theory that like like a lot of our human illness is actually a response to the grief of this devastation of the world actually you know and that we're internalizing it um and how can we not we're part of it really and what's with the time that you spent there, because this is the Peruvian Amazon rainforest that you stayed in, no? It was, yeah, 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 near Iquitos in North Peru. Oh, yeah. oh beautiful. Yeah, did you, because some of your work seems, when I first saw your work, okay, not the first one, because I saw the lady with the octopus, and I just found it extraordinarily oh, yes. exciting. I love her. <laughs> did she have a name, by the way? Mother. Mother. Ooh. Not my mother, by the way, I hasten to have, <laughs> if, if you're listening, mum. She didn't worry about that. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll forget the name and just focus on the image, which I love. But um, some of your other work that I've seen felt to me like um, the psychedelic experience or Carly-esque yeah. or Ayahuasca-esque visions. Um, I'm, curious, I'm curious to ask how your experiences uh, in the Peruvian Amazon Basin has shaped your understanding of the natural world and our relationship with it and also in your art. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been oh, it's, it's been huge. I, I I drank I the first time I went out to Peru was in twenty fourteen, uh, in September twenty fourteen. But the work before and the, actually the work didn't change an awful lot, but it is definitely informed by that. I mean I I say it didn't change I was already like the work like Pachamama and Meta and uh, Midpoint, although that I'm still making work really of that same nature which was made before I went out to the Amazon. Um, but you know that's also certainly informed by time spent in nature on meditation retreats, and also you know having done psychedelics as a young and that's that's informed my entire life really. Um, in my you know probably too early in my late teens, early twenties, <laughs> I think probably you know wait wait till you got a bit of a measure of yourself, kids, mm. before you get into that because it's you know, it can be it can be a bit destabilizing. But um, uh, like, going to Peru and, and um, getting. And spending time in the jungle, you know, like, Iquitos, I think, is one of the furthest flung cities in the world in terms of, you know, accessibility. You have to either fly in or go in four days on a boat and then it's a couple of hours on a bus to the river and then a few hours up the river to the starting point and then you walk in for a couple of hours to the jungle. So it's it's fairly sort of, you know, it, it's near the town, but it's uh, it, it feels very pristine out there. I went to a place called the Temple of the Way of Light which is a pretty remarkable place. Um, but to be like in the midst of the jungle with all the enormous amount of sound from the insects and birds mm. and frogs and, and all the other wonderful beasts. We had jaguars. You can hear jaguars sometimes at night and, and, and all that. And, and, to, and to drink this very powerful uh, shamanic brew of um, ayahuasca and to go on these enormous journeys. I had an extremely powerful experience there. I did seven ceremonies over the space of nine days, which was a lot. It was, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was. I mean, funnily enough, I actually, um, a a dear friend of mine, Debbie, um, I used to work with her when I I had a job in London years ago as a fundraising manager. She was one of my um, uh, team leaders in in a job and turned out by chance that she was there Managing it, and still is there. Oh, how um, funny! She she came she came back to stay with me that that winter and said, "Oh, why don't you come back? You try doing two of them." And I was like, "Oh God, all right." So I went back in January and did uh, two of them back to back. So that was I don't know what was going on <laughs> in me then, but I was just a bit obsessed with it because it it brought so many riches. But um, yeah, th- that definitely had a, a profound impact on me. It changed my life, and it 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 sort of it. I came back and actually um, changed the name of one of those pictures, Pachamama, which is probably my best known mm. picture, which it was on the cover, the Royal Blood cover. I changed that from, it was originally called Falls, just because I used to be a little bit lazy with titles and it had some waterfalls in it. Um, but I changed it to Pachamama, which is the Quechuan word for uh, Earth Mother. Mm. And I kind of had the, 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 a lot of time spent in ceremony thinking about my work and what it was for and what I wanted to do with it. And it sort of, I, th- I think spending that time in ceremony there with the Shipibo shamans doing their unbelievable magic work that they do and the wonderful people that run that place and the people that I was on retreat with there, um, having conversations with them all the time and being in the jungle, spending the days sort of quietly swimming in the lake there or being in the, in the, in the greenery. Um, it really kind of rammed home the, 
I mean, I'm going to keep using that word miracle, but the miraculous nature of all this and the fact that this has been going on, plant life has been going on for billions of years. We're pretty new to the scene, really. And there is, it was seen, as it's seen by a lot of people that, that drink ayahuasca or eat mushrooms or whatever, that the, these plants have their own form of intelligence, you know, or at least they open a gateway for us to experience the natural world in a new way um, and to see the... I mean, the, the, the infinite mystery of it all appearing as it does, you know. Um, and so that, that really informed, that, that sort of really informed my work. And, and I mean, the, the big thing that happened to me on that first retreat was the cracking open of something that just it, 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 it uncovered the, I mean, to my mind and to others, the absolute undeniable fact that throughout all of this, throughout all of this calamity, this massive disaster, the fundamental nature of the universe is love. You know, it's, it's what all of the ancient traditions point to. It's what any of the mystical traditions will say the same thing. They all talk about the same thing. It's, 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 um, it's profound emptiness appearing as love or something along those lines. Um, and all of the stuff that we would move around in every day, it's a, it's a, it's a display of that in, in material form. So that was, uh, whew, I mean, that, 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 that's what changed me. My, my third ceremony was just a big life changer. Mm. Uh, I, again, I could knock on about this forever. Um, well, it's really interesting to hear you talking about it in terms of love. Do you think, how do we love ourselves out of this mess then? <laughs> if you were, were going to yeah, point towards oh. something that you're hopeful about, about action that we can take in some form mm. that connects with that, what would that be? I think to take time to stop and to look at, just to look, to get our eyes out of the phones for starters. I really do think that, and I'm guilty of this as well. Like, you know, it's not like I'm walking around without a phone. I get caught up in it. Um, but but to, to, to take time out to sit properly, quietly um, in nature, uh, or, to, or to look at art, to, to, to get into art. I think art is the next best thing about, well, it's part of nature, but it's, um, you can't really sort of pull the two apart, um, but to to take time and to be quiet. I mean, for me, I've I've, I've been on quite a few meditation retreats um, in retreat centres and just off on my own in places, and that, the world opens up when we do that. You know, I, I did a, I spent a month in in um, in the Cotswolds last year on my own, just did a sort of silent month um, where I just I took all my I took my whole studio, I packed a car up with that. All, everything in my studio with the idea that I go there and work and do some walks and actually I just sat in the woods all day with beech trees mainly yeah. and had some really uh, like amazing experiences just sitting and watching the creatures you know, I had stags and deer would come close you know if you sit still long enough the, the wildlife emerges and it just all plays out and um, so for me um, being quiet and just paying attention to natural surroundings to sitting in some woodlands if you can find some because most of them are gone unfortunately um or a beach or a park even um and and just be quiet just shut up <laughs> you know just shut up <laughs> that's me talking to myself shut up and 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 actually what i find without especially with the silence as well like moving out of distraction and just being really quiet and and watching the mind go crazy and then eventually quieting down then the dial turns right up on beauty on on all on the the, the color intensifies the, the the sense of time changes and um just the the, yeah, the exquisite beauty of nature is it can be revealed even if only for a little while um, but sometimes there's, there can be quite big sort of breakthroughs where we realise that we're, we are it. We're that which we're looking at and that we, we are that which we're searching for. We're it. Um, and I mean, that's, that's maybe kind of quite big language. Maybe the, maybe the, the direction is just to, like, I don't know, um, stop being so bloody distracted. I'm talking to myself. Stop being so bloody distracted and, and, and take time to be quiet and to pay attention to the moment to, like... That sounds quite trite. It's actually pay attention to the what is eternal, um, really, which which can reveal itself if you're quiet. And I, I think like there are there are 
for want of a better term, um, technologies such as ayahuasca and uh, mushrooms, but also meditation and country walks and uh, playing with animals and all these things, uh, being with people and conversing and being heart to, like, talking heart to heart that um, really allows something to be seen. And I think that's all of those things. I'm not sure quite what I've just said because I've been rambling, but... Um, you know, th- th- this is this is this is what I need in my life, and this is what I see my friends needing in their lives. And it's one of the things that really was an eye opener for me with the whole extinction rebellion stuff. Is like togetherness mm. with a shared purpose, which is to uh, rekindle our love for the world and to look at the forces that are seeking to destroy it for small-minded means, um, uh, which we're all part of, which I'm part of. You know, I'm a consumer. I don't. That's not how I classify myself, but that's one of the ways in which we survive in this world, we live in this world, right? Um, One of the systems we've chosen to create, and I think it's gone kind mm. of um, to an extreme, which is just much more harmful than it is helpful. Yeah. But it's interesting with the point of um, of love, and I think a lot of it is to do with being present. Um, I don't know if you have this sense, because I also spend quite a bit of my time on my phone, mm. especially looking at art these days. Yeah, me too. I kind yeah. of tell yeah. myself, well, it's okay, but actually, you know, it's still the same the same um, habitual um, checking behaviours that end up fragmenting our attention. But one thing that I think is really interesting is the sense of being able to just be present with people. Mm. Um, And even things that, for instance, it's like an example would be if you go out clubbing and loads of people are taking pictures, they're trying to capture something which cannot be captured. Mm. But at some level, it can be captured if you live it fully. And I've realised this, that if I just let go and give the moment my full attention, which happens sometimes, especially when I'm dancing, I find it much easier, mm. and give the people that I'm with my full attention, then it stays with me for days afterwards. It's yeah. a felt sense of something being full or whole or um, joyful. And I just I just wish that we could do that a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Something that's become really clear to me recently is the importance of being around other people that are like willing to look at themselves as well and to look at the world mm. like in the eye, you know, or in the heart or however you want to put it. People that are willing to, mm. people that are interested in this mystery and people that are interested in, and I don't mean, when I say this mystery, I don't mean the sort of mystery, the, the mystery um, traditions or whatever, it's like just the mystery of being, you know, and, and that comes about if you're eye to eye with somebody, you know, and genuinely like heart to heart with people or a person um or you sit quietly in front of a, a, an incredible painting or you mm. sit and really rather than uh, if you, or you sit with a piece of incredible music either at a concert or at home without fiddling and farting around while you're listening to it then <laughs> you know something else opens up then right you know and and absolutely like you say it it, it stays with us and uh, you know, I, I think I, I can think of a few times over the last few days where there's been a connection with somebody or there's been a connection with um, a, a, a tree. Uh, I love trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, I'm obsessed, yeah. I'm obsessed <laughs> with trees. Uh, I can sit with a tree and just look at it and something comes through. It's not necessarily language or an idea or an insight, but there's a, there's a sense of being with something which is important which feels like it nourishes and you know we can have that with people Kurt and I when we came back from um, from the art yard fair on Sunday we were on a train and a, a homeless guy came and sat down next to us with a can of cider a guy called Mark and said something and we just had a most wonderful conversation all the way back in which was really bonkers and all over the place and he talked you know he we, we just had this wonderful connection of just chatting about his life you know he's walked all over the UK he's walked all the way over all, he's walked up to Carlisle twice through the lake he just knew everywhere and he had this something about him which had this archetypal uh, feel to it of kind of kingliness or something like that underneath the sort of suffering and stuff you know really and he actually started talking about how God had appeared to him and had uh, removed a crown from him and you know started talking in these really like archetypal oh, folkloric terms it sounds like absolutely mythological yeah. stuff sort of opened up um, and I'm not going to forget that ever because it was incredible and, and you know he expressed to us how much he'd enjoyed connecting and uh, it was just a simple conversation. We were knackered. He was knackered and drunk, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was, it was. There was, there was that heart to heart thing. Um, 
you know, like if you're willing to sort of sit and be present with another person, then mad things can happen or same things can happen, you know. Mm. Yeah. Un- unexpectedly beautiful things can happen. Yeah, it's waiting for us all the time. It's waiting for us all the time. <laughs> it is, it's, it's always wants us to connect this stuff. It really does. I, mean, I remember there's a, there's a wonderful, really recommend listening to Z- Desert Island Discs with uh, sister Wendy Beckett. I don't know if you remember her. Oh, yeah, the nun. Mom loves her. <laughs> yeah, oh, she's great. But she talks about coming into London. Um, she, she was a hermit nun for like 30 years or something and was writing yeah. into art magazines. And the BBC said, look, we really like the way you write about art. Would you like to come and talk to us about a potential TV series? But the thing that stuck, stuck with me from that Desert Island Discs was she talked about being in a taxi in London and looking out and looking at people thinking, oh, they look so miserable and they look so sad but if only they knew that god is just trying to reach out to them all the time and obviously she's coming from a christian perspective but you know you you, you can translate that to life or love you know or um just presence or whatever you want to call it like there's something that's continually waiting for us to connect with it you know and we are connected with it we just don't realize it half the time and uh you know, again, I kind of feel like I keep need, need to bring art into it because that's what we're talking about. But, like, you know, art does that. Like that that's, that's what it's for, you know, that's what it's for. To bring us into connection. In my mind, anyway. Yeah, yeah and, and also, you know, and also that, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about a certain, maybe a certain kind of art, but, you know, it's also with pop art and stuff, it's also a means by reflecting where we're at as a society, right? So it's the same thing, but maybe the other way around a little bit. Um, so speaking about connection... Um, I would like to ask you if we could close, because we're already at time. I could happily chat with you for hours. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, blimey. All right. I feel like this needs to be like a three-hour-long pub conversation over cider or something. Um, but I would, I would love to close with you, with you reading your artist statement, which is just beautiful. Would you be up for it? Uh, <laughs> yes. I can, I, can, I can recite it, actually. It's, 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 I, I got really into memorising poems recently. My... my so I need to, before I do this, is, is to put a shout out to my brother, Baraka Blue, uh, who's a Sufi hip hop artist and poet and teacher wow. and speaker and all around mega dude who I met in the jungle, um, who is just, uh, we just became fast friends and old time brothers straight away. And he recited a poet, one of his poems at the end of uh, the second retreat that I did out there. And it was just like, oh my gosh, I need to learn to do that. So I scampered off and started memorizing poems because it's such a lovely thing to do to be able to say it to people um but also to when the mind's kicking off and doesn't want to stop it's a great thing just to start doing that instead yeah. you know instead of thinking like nonsensical thoughts if the mind went quiet and down then it's just lovely to run over poems so um yeah i've got i've got i've got him to thank for that anyway baraka blue um so yeah so this is it's actually it, i've put up as an art statement it's a poem that i wrote a couple of years ago um, and it's meant to be spoken, so it's nice to... <laughs> Mother Universe, unending, stellar womb of all our days, diamond dust of ancient splendour, star vibration, silver rays, illuminate the farthest reaches, teach us how to pray, to what's within the vast, the open, through the heart a voice unbroken, in a language never spoken, sings to wake us where we lay. We've been asleep so very long, through fitful dreams and narrow songs. But in the woods the drum beats on, the heart keeps pace till break of day. And with the birth of that invincible sun, and the daybreak chorus of the feathered messengers, singing in their birdie tongues, we are many, we are one, we are many, we are one, ancient tweeters beautifully blessing us. And the waters, our blood, the earth, the breeze, encircling us, caressing us. May we see without doubt what we truly are, nothing short of the miraculous, embodiments of the enchanted cosmos, sons and daughters of the father-mother. Let us rise up luminous like the full moon and take hands with our sisters, with our brothers, in tenderness, in togetherness, with our shared history of foreverness pointing to the infinite while squaring up to the relentlessness of the moribund inward-facing dark logic and the messiness of the thievery corporations who are plundering with recklessness this earthly paradise of delights to make shiny shit that dazzles us to what may be beyond our screens the simple, clear and effortless love for one another, for ourselves, 
for the world and for the very breath in us. In everything the nameless is moving, it is pointedly addressing us. More love, more warmth, more kindness, more truth, more courage, more wisdom, more unity. Take aim with the bows of your war-weary hearts and send arrows of steadfast love splendidly, tenderly, from bended knee, as far as you can for all to see, to the rainforest fires, to the funeral pyres, to the lost, to the landless, to the political liars, to the young, to the old, to those twinkling with gold, to every beautiful, terrified animal being killed for its meat in dark factories. To our kin on those boats who are struggling to float over shockwaves from a monetized war machine. To the ends of the earth, to all those now taking birth, and to those taking their leave, back into the seas of this incomprehensible mystery. Fill the sky with our prayers, fill the earth with the airs, to the thrones of what humankind truly could be. And within this great field, with strength may we yield to the greater love of the totality. Watch now, as with hearts like the sun, we build a vision of love, not hate, but unity. Give it form with our actions and infiltrate the collectivized insanity. And remember that we are made from stars, that everything here, all that we are, can trace this 13 billion year path to one flash of light that splits apart the impossible deeps of eternity. In the woods that remain, the drum beats on. It is deep and dark and good and strong. With our ancestors behind us, leading us on, let us open out wide to that unvanquishable sun and unveil ourselves and everyone the clear diamond dawn of reality. Thank you for listening to The Hive Podcast with me, Natalie Nahai. To find out more about today's guest and the topics we explored, you can visit the show notes page at natalienahai.com forward slash The Hive Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please do give it a rating and you can join in the conversation with the hashtag Hive Podcast. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode. Thank you.